Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well. Leah Whitman Moore is the author of Loving You Big, One Family Embracing the Unexpected. She has been teaching English and theater for over 16 years and is a graduate of the University of Wisconsin with a master's in educational theater from New York University. Leah was the recipient of the prestigious Teacher of the Year Award presented to 10 New York City teachers annually. She first premiered her writing on her parenting blog, LovingYouBig.com, which has an international audience in over 50 countries. Her family has been featured in a documentary about Cri du Chat. Cri du Chat. <laughs> I did take French for like 100 years. Cri du Chat, a rare chromosomal disability. She has been a guest on popular media outlets such as Forbes and ESPN, working to create more stories centering around individuals with disabilities. 
She has taught at Columbia Teachers College, been a guest lecturer at Stanford Medical School, Bard College, and the Irma Bombeck Writing Conference. Oh my gosh, I love Irma Bombeck's writing. She lives in New York with her husband, three children, and her daughter's collection of rainbow wigs. Welcome, Leah. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to discuss Loving You Big, a memoir, one family embracing the unexpected. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. My kids, by the way, love this cover. They were like, what's that about? Was it good? And I was like, yeah, it's super good. And yeah, they just loved it. So they'll be excited that I spoke to you today. You start off by telling the reader that this is your experience with what was like this particular rare disorder that your daughter Jordan was based, uh, was born with, Le Cat Cree, is that right? Yes, called Cree Shot. Cree I'm so sorry. I know it's very hard. And Cree Shot. Sorry to minimize. And you took us through your relationship and falling in love with your husband. And that was so awesome. And I'm like, how great that you went to your in-laws house before they were your in-laws. And when you were just friends with your husband and told them like, by the way, I'm in love with your son and that it worked. And like, you eventually both fell in love and got married. Like, that's the best story. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. It was a bold move, but it paid off. Actually, today is our 14th wedding anniversary. So it really paid off. Happy anniversary. Awesome. Thank you. So why don't you talk a little about the book and also, so basically, I mean, I'm summarizing too, but you start yeah. from there, you go through what happens when you realize, t- t- tell listeners what they can expect with your book. Absolutely. Sure. So I have three kids and my oldest was born with this very rare disability called Krita Shah, which I had never yeah, and heard you of. Have, and you have twins, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Twin mom, yeah. which is yes, exactly. <laughs> and... The I thought sort of that would be where the chaos would begin and end. And then we fast forwarded four years and had twin boys and they both had pretty significant medical needs. We thought one had cancer. We thought the other one needed brain surgery. And my husband and I are just sort of these everyday teachers and we were not prepared for any of this. And I started writing as a way to make sense of it all to sort of cope with these things that I didn't think I could handle as a mother. And the book is broken up into three parts. So the beginning is how we became a family and who we are. And the middle is that that everyday chaos of just what it means to be a family, but have a family where you have two kids who have disabilities. My children are all healthy, but they do have very significant different needs. And then the end was really about finding my voice There was so much about disabilities that I had absorbed from society that I thought was something to be mourned. I thought it was something sad. So it's really a celebration of changing a lot of those ideas and making the world better for my kids and my students. So that's kind of the journey. But it's written, it was the book that I wish existed because I needed to talk to a friend. They have all those books when you're about to have a baby, like what's going to actually happen. And I didn't feel like this book existed. So I wrote it in a way, super short chapters, vignettes, so that people can manage it. And that it sounds like you're talking to a friend who might also be there too. So true. But it's not just like, I mean, it's very well crafted though. I mean, like your beginning and ending sentences and some of the passages here, I I did the like top of the page and bottom of the page 
Dog year. Let me read a few things, perhaps. This is when your husband found out about his mom, which was also just gut-wrenchingly devastated. And his sister rang and she also had cognitive disabilities. And hi, Amanda. He smiled into the phone. And then he wrote, his face changed. It was not the face of an expectant father, which you were at the time. He exhaled and his knees gave out as I screamed his name. My mom. He was on the ground in the middle of a sea of people outside Madison Square Garden We sat there on the sidewalk with his head against my stomach, rocking in grief until our friend came to drive us home. And then you say later, Zach had spoken to her less than 15 hours ago. I could imagine her cradling the phone receiver long after they'd hung up, smiling into the night sky. She had probably let her dog Frodo out for one last evening run while she stood on the porch of her quiet country house. Amanda was probably asleep inside the television still on. And then you went on for her. And then she said all these things about her. And then you just said she couldn't be dead. This woman had been invincible, a single mother and so on. You're immediate. I mean, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. And you can feel that pain with the way you wrote about it in that scene. Tell me about that. And even the experience of going back to that to write about it. Yeah. So a lot of the book has, I, I like to say it's Shakespearean, what happened to us. That happened within 24 hours after finding out that we would have our baby and that she would be okay. And and then it became sort of my symbolic journey of balancing joy and sorrow at the exact same time, kind of for the rest of my life. And I like to say, because I'm a high school English teacher, I always look for symbols and motifs wherever I go. But the passage your you just read actually took I had to go back and do it again and again and again because it was so emotional and actually a lot of the influence of listening to a lot of the authors you interview and the strategies they use helped me to to unearth the rest of the story which was I did imagine what that must have been like for her to hear she was having her first grandchild and that made it so much sadder. And also that's the memory I hold on to now. So I have perfected the art of holding my sorrow and trying to find writing as a way to let it out. So the that's, book actually ends up pretty no joyful. Thing. <laughs> yeah, it's no small thing. Yes. And you and your ability, you you continually see the positive, right? You you have this, I want to use the word effervescent, even though it's not right in this context, but that's how I feel. It's like, you're like the bubbles on top of the drink and no matter, <laughs> you're like not letting it get you down to the bottom of the yeah. glass. Yeah. And there are definitely parts where it is down. I, I call it the dark woods. It's very Dante's inferno and I'm I'm lost. And I've learned a lot of relying on, we call them feelings teachers here in our house for all <laughs> people. And I think what's been so rewarding about writing this book is how many people who are in positions maybe like mine or maybe not just becoming a parent you never know what's going to happen. And I'm able to say what a lot of them are just feeling in silence. And then we don't feel so alone that, that I needed the book to exist because I was so isolated. I didn't feel like I had a community. So I created the community I needed with this, which has been great. Wait, tell me more specifics about the outpouring of fellow readers and everything. I mean, it's, as as I can tell you, with you know, creating a memoir, it's super vulnerable to put yourself out there. And what's funny is I'll be, you know, at the grocery store, walk through the neighborhood, and someone like puts their hand to their chest. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, oh, it, okay, keep reading. You know, keep reading. It's gonna, it's gonna get better. And if I haven't caught up with someone for a while, I don't feel like there's anything more I need to say because my entire life is now inside the book. So I'm like, oh, you can just read the book. 
but the best part had come from, from strangers. And my best compliment has been a student who said, I never read anything you assigned us and I couldn't put this down. <laughs> I said, thank you so much. But from other parents, whether they have the same condition that my daughter has, or they've just happened upon the book, just saying, you gave us hope. And a lot of the talk about the implicit biases about disabilities and how they're seen in our society and how they're perpetuated in different texts and movies. And just people saying, thank you, I didn't realize I was holding on to that. And now I can reflect or check in on myself. So I think that's probably been some of the most rewarding takeaways. So what should people who have not read the book, but want, but know they need a better attitude or a different perspective on on disability and and what it means, like educate us. Yeah. Well, okay. So, <laughs> so you're a I teacher. Would, you wrote I a book about it. Come on, I can do it. So I would say, specifically in the world of intellectual disabilities, there are these ideas that just continue that that people with disabilities are a burden, or it's pitiable, or it's so sad. And there's a lot of my heart breaks for you. I, I feel so sad when I think about your family. I wrote in the book, we got a condolence card when she was born. And I know people are coming with the right intention. I know people are trying to say, I don't know what it's like to be around a child who's nonverbal or maybe won't be able to walk. But my particular child is probably one of the most joyful humans that have ever existed. She, I like to say she dances through the world and she teaches you how to slow down and really appreciate everything. So what I've learned are, I would say like three really simple tips, which is giving someone wait time. So seeing if you see somebody on the playground or if you're work, somebody's at the grocery store, that you don't have to finish their sentence, give them the space to finish what they want to say. Another thing that people do a lot is the up talk. We talk to people with intellectual disabilities, kind of like they're puppies or babies, and we don't know we're doing it. So that's a really nice one to just check your voice that you're not saying like, oh, hi. Mm. And somebody might be a 45-year-old man. And then the last one is redirection. So if if Jordan was here, she'd ask you who your celebrity crush was. You wouldn't, I don't know if you have one right now. I would have to think about that. Yeah, but okay. it's a really hard question. She also asked who the president was when you were born. She okay. really has some trivia questions. President and then Carter. she'll, yeah, I know. <laughs> And then she'll ask you again and again and again that she's on a on a loop. So redirecting her and saying, well, we, you know, we just talked about that. And there's nothing to be afraid of when talking to her. It's just kind of meeting her where she is and, and moving from there. So I would say my biggest piece of advice is to do a little bit of an audit. Think about the way disabilities are being presented in the movies you're watching and the books that you're reading. And are those ideas being perpetuated. And if they are, start changing what stories you're taking in, and then it might change some of your ideas. Interesting. Do you feel like there are any good role models in movies or books that you've seen aside from this? I really loved the, oh, I'm spacing on the name. She's British actress and she's curly hair. And she was the mom of a child with cerebral palsy. And Mini Driver, it was the show. And I thought it was done with such a beautiful sense of humor and it was really authentic. It wasn't ignoring the fact that this child had cerebral palsy and also the person who played the child actually had cerebral palsy. So Mm -hmm. I loved that depiction. 
I would say that's been my favorite. And, you know, I'm so tired. I can't even remember the name of it. That's that fine. I, I, we can Google it. <laughs> Everyone Google it. You know. Everyone Google it. It's a really good one. If they took it off the air though, because it wasn't making enough money, which mm-hmm. is also part of, yeah. you know, the way stories get told and how they get told is a moneymaker sometimes. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Wow. Yeah. Um, wait, tell me more about the writing of this book. I know you said, you know, short chapters and all of that, you know, you wanted it to be like a not put denable type of easy yeah. to read story. And it does feel very warm and inviting in your tone of, how, of welcoming in the reader. But tell me about the structure. Like, when did you do this? You have three little kids and yeah. you have a lot. Yeah. Of <laughs> Why go through with it? When did you do, and how did, how did you even like structure it? And when did you know it was a book versus, you know, just like the whole thing? Yes. Okay. So I was teaching ninth grade English and we were doing personal narratives and all of the examples I wanted to show them felt old. Suddenly I'm really old and they don't know any of my references, which is heartening. <laughs> and I have always been a reader and I've been a secret writer, but I never, I was going to be on Broadway long before I was going to be a writer. And I, it was 11 o'clock at night. And I said, I just, I'm just going to write an example so that they get something authentic and I can model it. And I remember my husband saying, when do you have time to write this? And I was like, I'll just 
I'll just bust it out. And I sat down and I wrote the piece, which eventually became the beginning, which was the irony of having a child who may never have words and being a person who loves stories and being married to somebody and falling in love with him because of our love of storytelling. And it literally poured out of me in 15 minutes. And the next morning I read it to my class and like ugly cried, like just sobbing. And I remember them like whispering, like, is she okay? I mean, we had just gotten to know each other. And I came home and I said, I think I have a book in me. I think that there's just more stories that have to come out. So it was about eight years from start to finish. My boys didn't even exist when the book got started. And I mostly just wrote every moment that came to me. And then I laid them all on a dining room table and said, how do these stories fit together? And then I ultimately landed on the three-part structure, which was meeting us and the middle chaos, and then which I call the ladybug warriors. So ladybugs eat away at what's ugly so the beautiful can survive. And that was that last part. And my favorite part of the journey was about maybe three months before I thought it was over, I was in therapy and my therapist said, I'm not sure you've come to terms with your daughter's diagnosis. And I said, oh no, I have to, because I just wrote a book saying I did. So you definitely have to. And she's like, I don't, I don't think so. So I added about another 12 chapters, kind of being honest about that process. So it has like a gestational life of an elephant, pretty much this book. (laughs) Yeah. How do you, how do you manage the back and forth of your own brain and your own attention with the kids? I mean, I would ask this of anybody with multiple kids, but particularly when one or two have needs that surpass others or have more immediate immediate needs that need to be tended to or whatever. Like where how do you figure it out on a day-to-day basis? Or do you just take it as it comes? <laughs> so you're perpetually tired and have decision fatigue, which I think all moms of multiple children do, but I have learned the art of the to-do list and chunking my time and asking for help, which I was not very good at for a very long time. So a lot of this used to happen once everybody was finally asleep. And then it wasn't necessarily my best work and my best working time, but it was the only time I had. And first I'd finish grading Romeo and Julia papers, and then I would start writing And it made me resentful. It made me jealous of all the people that get to just kind of write because it's all just stuck in there. So I started to come up with ways to talk to myself throughout the day and record a sentence here or jot a post-it note there. So that way, when I did get that time to myself, it had already gotten me started so that I could um, finish the rest of the thought. But if I didn't ask for help, it would never get done. And that's just a good rule of parenting a child with a disability or being a person right now, I think, in general. Do you don't ever find it hard to ask for help? I find it impossible to ask for help. But when I really, frankly, when my body started saying, I don't think you can do this by yourself, your hair starts falling out. I just couldn't keep up the pacing. I'm not a robot. And I thought I was, and it became easier to ask for help when my body gave me the physical signs. Like you won't, you're not going to survive this if you keep trying to do it literally all by yourself. So who was the most, who gave you the biggest opportunity to take the sigh of relief? Mm, that's a hard, oh, that's a hard question. I mean, it's probably my husband would be number one because there were a lot of times I'd literally pass him like a diaper 
of a child and be like, I have a sentence. I thought of a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> this kid. And then I really am very lucky that I have an incredible support system. So for example, I had COVID last week and a case of groceries showed up on my front porch. My Aww. friends in Canada, like people know how to show up for us and it doesn't have to always be in person, but just remembering that again, I'm not alone and that there's a community is, is kind of what's been helping. So I love my, my support system. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's yeah. good role modeling for the rest of us. <laughs> yes. Do you find time to read? Yes, all the time. Well, I'm an avid fan of your podcast. And my favorite game is I read the book and then I wait to listen to the podcast till after I'm done. And then I take a walk and I listen to you. And that's my <laughs> quiet time. So I love it so much. And then I luckily... Before I fall asleep, I can always just steal time for for having a book in my hand. And then also because of my job, I just need to keep reading to make sure I have what's relevant for the students. And so, yes, I am reading all the time. Amazing. So what what have you read that's good lately? Oh, well, I just did the Eight Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, which I loved. And I am just about to start Ayanna Mathis's 12 Tribes of Hattie. And two days ago, I finished Nora Goes Off Script and I just listened. And Annabelle is a fellow, she lives in my area, so I know her. So I was very excited to listen to that one. That one felt perfect because I had COVID and I snuggled up with it. So, So those are the three in the most recent. I felt like my podcast with her... I was like, I had so many like specific questions. I remember finishing. I loved it. Like, I don't think I did a very good job because I just was like honing in on what I was, I really wanted to know. Like maybe it wasn't broad enough, but anyway. No, I loved it because what's helpful for you to know is we're all listening with our own agendas, right? So we're coming in to enjoy the book, but also we love your writing journey and you shared there, you're starting a fictional book and your memoir is about to come out. And so we, we love all that. Craft questions are on behalf of your audience. Oh, okay, them. thank you. No, I mean, I'm interested. I hope other people, I mean, I don't know. It, just it was great. I did a whole load of laundry during that one. So. Oh, you. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so good at multitasking. <laughs> I left the load of laundry in for the last, I don't even know how many, seven yeah. hours. I have to like go back and forgot to put it in the dryer per usual. Yeah. But anyway, anyway, how do you think your kids will feel, or this is impossible kind of to answer, but how will they feel about this book? Like, is there anything you're worried yeah. about them eventually reading? Yes. I actually have been having a little bit of writing. I wouldn't say it's even writer's block because I have a million stories, but now the stories, my my kids are older and I don't know which stories are mine and which mm-hmm. stories are theirs. Yep. How old are they um, all now? So, so Jordan's 11. She's mm-hmm. the one with the disability, the significant disability. And I'm not worried about misrepresenting her because I feel like part of my mission is that I love that own voices movement. And while Jordan can't tell her own story, I feel like a vehicle, which is why the book opens with her sharing. But my boys are are seven Mm -hmm. and we're at the point. So in the first book, you know, they love to talk about their penises and that cracks them up. And everyone's favorite section is where my son is, is more, he's so upset because this is a spoiler, but it's the best part. He's hysterically, hysterically crying because 
it turns out he thinks my tushy is lonely because it doesn't have anything to talk to because his tushy gets to talk to his penis. And <laughs> he is just inconsolable. And we have to call my sister, make sure her tushy isn't lonely. And it's adorable. And he was very four. Sweet. And it's very sweet. And as I was finishing it, I said, oh, I don't think maybe a six-year-old is going to want their name in this story. So I you know, just wrote one of the twins instead of their name. So now I'm not sure what stories belong to them. And when I ask them, can I write this story? Now they say, yeah, of course. We think it's cool you're in bookstores. But I don't think they'll think that when they're 14. So I don't know the answer to that just yep. yet. <laughs> but I guess I'll find out. I think the, the next series is, uh, what does it feel like to have a child with disability go through puberty? Mm. Because my daughter is very excited about her changing body and asks, like, what do I do with these? Like, oh, those that's your boobs. They just stay there. You know, there's a lot of things that we don't have books to read about. So we need to know more. Wow. Yeah. What advice would you have for aspiring authors? Oh, for aspiring authors. It's the same advice I'd give my students, which is you are all writers. Everyone is a writer. And and the we we look at the piece by Terry Tempest Williams, Why I Write. And only one of those very, very long lists of reasons is to make money. But yet a lot of the students and the people that I've encountered think somehow writing has to be synonymous with a job. And I think writing is, there's a story that you have to tell and it deserves to be told. And we need more stories and we need those stories to have different perspectives. So my advice to anyone listening, especially from a full-time teacher who never thought they'd be a writer, is if there's something nagging at you, just get it out and see where it takes you. Because everyone is a writer. I agree. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's, Everybody's got a story. Everybody has a story. They're all interesting. <laughs> thank you so much, Leah. This has been so nice. And thank you for your patience while we got to this date to record. Oh, yes. So I really it's my honor. And yeah, it's a beautiful story. And you're a great writer. So thank you, Zivi. Thank you so much. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Take Take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.